0: This is Changeling the Podcast.
1: Welcome changeling the podcast come for the glamour stay for the vibes i'm your host josh and with us is your other host puka say hi puka
0: no shan't
1: oh no what are we talking about today puka
0: (laughs) we're certainly not going to be talking about the best kith book that was ever written kith book puka
1: that was a good use of negatives i think that still falls into puka east rules it's good
0: i try to do like the nesting negatives but uh, yeah i should have planned this in advance is what i'm saying that's what you want us to think, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So yes, fifth book Puka. So this is written by Angel McCoy and developers Nikki, Ria, and Jackie Caseta. And I looked it up and Angel McCoy did not seem to do any work for Werewolf the Apocalypse. <laughs> so I'm extra confused by this book, but we'll get to that. And yeah.
0: The fervor is nonetheless there mm-hmm. for Werewolf. <laughs> yes. And the art ness is... I think, still kind of visible here. You you have the cost-saving measures of black and white printing joined by large margins and fairly large mm-hmm. text and lots of white space. Only two artists with quite spare art. so. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they pick different fonts now that are hard to read. Mm. It is also, it's longer than the previous Kith books. This is the first one we get in the not exactly revised mm-hmm. era, because it was still second edition. but I feel like it has the same amount of text as the previous ones. It's just kind of stretched.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's extra weird, Ben. Why would you save
0: money? And most of that text, the direction it takes the kith. it's it's really something, isn't
1: it? <laughs> I don't think it's the worst kith book we've done
0: i I can't tell if you're if you're pukaing or not.
1: No, no, I really I think this is more useful than kith book trolls, but we'll get to it.
0: okay. And maybe it's some kind of meta commentary, like,
1: yeah. you know,
0: through the fourth wall, like tricking the readership saying, Oh, you thought you were going to get a standard kit book, but instead you're going to get this mishmash of somewhat useful with complete head scratching material.
1: I mean, somewhat useful with complete head scratching material, not unheard of in changeling supplements. But
0: yeah. I'd like to, before we dive right in, I'd like to preface by saying there were. A couple comments on the discord to the effect of oh can you record this entire episode in puka ease i'm glad that our listeners have such faith in the amount of time and energy that we have for preparation and or Mm -hmm. our improvisational skills Mm -hmm. however i think it would suffice in in my notes i've at least flagged a couple parts that i think qualify as puka Ease, so i will shout those Mm -hmm. out but otherwise i think it's going to be the usual oh the history chapter please tell me it's the history chapter there is a bunch in the history chapter and the mechanics that
1: also should have, I think that was a Puka use.
0: And, and this is just beyond the garden variety Puka use stuff. This is like mm-hmm. deep cut yep. dialects that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
1: So, yeah, it starts out with Lion and the Heart of Wonder, a Puka parable. Okay, if we rated every single Changeling book by the intro fiction or so have it, this might be on the bottom for
0: me. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you like
0: it? I thought it was cute. I mean, it was occasionally amusing. It didn't tell me anything really about the kith except that if this is a tale that they share among themselves, I'm like, all right, that's fine.
1: Yeah, they're really, they're associated with animals. That's what I got out of it. Yeah,
0: it doesn't fall into the pattern that we've seen with other kith books, where it's kind of an explanation of their frailty and/or birthrights. We do get mm-hmm. the note at the end. This was the first lie Apuka ever told, but like nothing in the story actually leads up to that no in
1: fact one of the big points is they're the only ones that keep their words out of all the kith
0: it's true but i think that speaks to a misconception about the Puka, which is that they can't make promises or take oaths mm-hmm. or do anything like that and in fact they can and as this kit book suggests they actually take them even more seriously than a lot of others because mm-hmm. of their frailty but i don't think the fable i think fable is the right word here it's kind of a combination fable about how the lion got to be king of the animals with a classic riddle parable hero's journey kind of thing. Yeah. It is weirdly earnestly sappy for an origin story. So yeah, I don't really know what to make of that. But mm-hmm.
1: uh, I got a bit of environmental, like Captain Planet level environmental.
0: Oh, well, that too will be a theme that we see returned to.
1: But yeah. So yeah, and then we have a picture, at least on my PDF, is almost unviewable. Mm -hmm. It's this pencil sketch that's like more sketch than pencil. Yeah. I think somebody's hitting somebody, maybe.
0: Well, and this is Melissa Uran's art, and Mm -hmm. she's done a lot of, I guess, almost manga-inspired kind of fight scene art.
1: She she did a ton of Exalted for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like full color and you could actually see it. Some of it was good and some of it was questionable, but you could at least see what she was drawing. This is like, I don't know how it looks on your, you have a physical copy, but.
0: It's not much better on the physical. Copy. No,
1: it's, it's the first special pencil sketch without really inked. Like that's how it looks. So.
0: I wonder if the art house budget, they were like, so listen, we have enough for you to commission work from a artist. And then maybe why don't you ask another artist for some of their sketchbook? pieces
1: oh yeah it has it doesn't seem to have anything with puka either but maybe it does it's it's hard to tell
0: there's a vaguely animalish figure
1: <laughs> maybe both figures who know
0: maybe both yeah
1: so chapter one evolution and i just want to say, the font for headings and stuff it's <laughs> i've not seen before and it's readable so that's a plus of some other fonts that you see in of things including later but well, uh, that's weird it's like blocky comic sans-ish, but not quite. But
0: Anyway. Yeah.
1: It's the history of the Puka.
0: There's a difference here, again, from previous Kith books, where rather than starting from like a place of deep legend to explain their origin, and then having that take up half to two-thirds of the history chapter, and basically everything pre-shattering, this one is actually more pegged to the human timeline. Mm-hmm. It's kind of akin to, at the time like vampire revised clan books were coming out mm-hmm. and those tended to have these really expansive history sections so i wonder if some of that design philosophy bled in
1: it also really cleaves a lot closer to paleontology and stuff yeah some of the stuff that, i'm not sure if that's accurate a few things but it's also the 90s and
0: yeah and certainly there's opinions in this presentation yeah. of history
1: <laughs> and there's little sidebars big sorry big sidebars from like going.
0: (gasps) Yes. Much pearl clutching about how unreliable this puka narrator is. But this brings me to calling out an example of puka ease. Earnest academic bullshitting is a time-honored tradition, and I fully think that should qualify as a form of puka ease. Like, I remember being in graduate school and somebody telling me that one of the most valuable skills you learn in graduate school is when somebody says, oh, have you read X or heard of X? Is to go, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and just kind of nod and squint and tilt your head a little bit, and they'll believe you. So I take a lot of this chapter on faith as a result of that.
1: Like the, the stuff about how they were the gods of Egypt and then...
0: For example.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then they, I think they actually mixed up one of the pharaohs with his dad in bits and sort of combined them.
0: And I guess they, had, they felt they could... And had to do this because Satyr's already claimed the Greek pantheon, so Yeah.
1: It's like, oh, they have animal heads, let's make them Puka. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of that here. It's like, oh, part animal, part human must be Puka. Which is extra funny because like the first the first being they think was a Puka is this describing um the fear book from
0: yeah, To be fair, this was before Denizens came out. Yeah, but it was just extra So yeah, you have prehistoric puka being rather more predatory, fearsome, and Mm awe-inspiring. I'm imagining saber-toothed tiger and cave bear puka. Not sure we need a Sumerian connection like we get in here, but yeah. Mm. But this book also, even though we're now solidly into second edition, this from the get-go is so like, progress is bad, humans are awful, technology destroys everything. And it's just fully committed to that point of view. Yeah. And whether or not one agrees with that, that is a choice that has been made for the direction of this kith. And I think Mm -hmm. it's, well, I have thoughts. Well,
1: it's not just they put that in, but it's also, according to this chapter, that's all the puka are? They're the animal people? Yeah. And there's definitely more to puka than that. Like, there's nothing about, I don't know, like any sort of trickster archetype or... Mm -hmm being a confidant or anything that's associated besides you're part animal and you're part he- it's like this is the story of the pharaoh from werewolf the apocalypse not puka
0: yeah they're animal shape changers filled with rage about the destruction of the natural world ever since humans started settling in cities and cultivating the fields sounds familiar mm-hmm. another piece of puka there's some speculative etymology here about the word puka, where it says it's a Gaelic corruption of the word for changing fae that originated in Arcadia. I don't think we need all of these asides about religions. Like, we get the Scythians, mm-hmm. and we get Australia, and we get the Celts, and I don't know, It like... I see it as an attempt to suggest that all of the other animal human shape changes worldwide are variations of Puka, maybe to kind of push back against the pointed out Eurocentrism of the game. But I'm like, why don't you just turn it around and say Puka are a European and in particular Celtic strain of shape changer Fae. Like mm-hmm. it would not be that hard to. Mm-hmm. <sighs> then we get to endangered species There's like an evolution. I mean, the chapter is called evolution, but then that becomes a theme because you have like a quote from Charles Darwin. And now we're talking about endangered species and the sundering. It opens with a rainforest proverb in the jungle. Animals know everything. I don't know what rainforest proverb is supposed to mean. Which rainforest?
1: Right. (laughs) I'm going to assume it's like basically people outside of Vancouver talking about this.
0: I think it's another form of ease myself. Yep. So they've repeatedly positioned the puka as gods, maybe as like a fig leaf to distinguish them from Pharaoh. This section in particular, this is where I have in my notes, but how did they get confidant as their birthright? Because so much of their early history described here is like, they're against civilization and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It would have been more interesting to me if this, quote, evolution was presented by some or from a certain perspective as more of a domestication but we don't see that perspective. Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, there's lots of ways I think this could have been done better. But yeah, we get more like puka around the world. They're not,
0: like they're Kithane. They're not
1: Munahe or whatever.
0: We get a whole section here on the Americas and that's like, why was this needed? Why did you have to say that they inspired Mesoamerican mythology? That was not at all necessary.
1: Well, they also inspired Egyptian mythology and... Earlier, something to do with the dream times in Australia. So, I mean,
0: well, in particular, that a tall, fair skinned, and bearded Mesoamerican god was actually a puka fleeing from the sundering in Europe. Mm. And I'm like, ah! So.
1: They get worse on that. Let's
0: get to shattering. Yeah. And now we're back to the usual Kith book history method of zooming through thousands of years of history in like a paragraph. They add a new thing, which was. Brought up in this kith book, never
1: mentioned before, never mentioned again, of the dream burrows, but not just dream burrows. The idea is, after the shattering, most of the puka left to hide in the dreaming in little burrows. Especially the ones from animals that wouldn't hang around humans. And I'm like, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I did do a triple take when I was looking at this, and I went back and read a little bit more carefully, and I think... It's not quite as dramatic as that because the Dream Burrows sidebar here, and I will say, I think the idea of Dream Burrows is actually mm-hmm. really cool and interesting, and I wish we had more concrete information about them. But it specifies that it was really during the Industrial Revolution that the Puka started to flee en masse. They couldn't flee to Arcadia because the gates were shut, so they found some way of nestling into... I guess, the nearest part of the near dreaming yeah. from the Industrial Revolution until, until the resurgence, at least in the sidebar, that's what it says. So yep. they weren't gone for the entire 600 years. They were still gone for 150 <laughs> mm-hmm. or thereabouts. And yeah, I I find that peculiar.
1: Yeah, but it also says in the regular paragraph that this happened, instead of the Changeling Way, many flee to the dreaming.
0: Well, sure. Well, that's yeah. that's what a lot of kids did.
1: Yeah. It's been said, sort of, but not really. And anyway, I'd like to know more about all sorts of kids that didn't make it to Arcadia, but didn't stay on Earth either with the Shattering.
0: Those are the ones in the home realms out in the Far Dreaming. There's also the realm of Balloon, and like, you know, we have other sort of Puka kingdoms out in the. But I
1: never actually said that's what they
0: are. (laughs) Yeah. They
1: were mechanics for what happens when they try to come to the Odd World, but anyway.
0: There's a paragraph here about the advance of, quote, civilization in the Americas, and it is really gross. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The author's heart was in the right place. I'm made uncomfortable by some of the language choices in this paragraph. Some of it's, oh, this is 1999, but. Yeah. So then the extinction section, we get the years of suffering, which is Mm -hmm. the industrial revolution. Mm Mm-hmm puka don't like technology according to this book groundhog day i don't really understand like yeah why is it called groundhog day
1: (laughs) i think they're just trying to find animal references but then it's like i think the puka liked the vietnam war according to this or the protests on the vietnam war yeah the puka are now a force for democracy okay and then and then the resurgence happens
0: overall it's like this whole history section it's this mishmash of assertions full of repetitions and non sequiturs and therefore it qualifies as mm mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. It also contradicts itself a bunch of times.
0: Yeah. But it remains vociferously anti-technology and mm-hmm. They the puka here seem way more resentful and selfish of their lost power in this telling. They
1: just they just read like werewolves and stuff like it's not Yeah.
0: Just... If you've played Werewolf the Apocalypse, then that's this book.
1: Not the whole book, just certainly this chapter.
0: No, it's the whole book, I would say. Mm. So the resurgence flooded the dream burrows with glamour and pushed some of the puka hiding out there into bedlam, leading Mm -hmm. to wars in those little dream realms. And then the slain ones reincarnated over the course of the next several decades. But at the time of the writing, it had only been three decades. Mm -hmm.
1: And then it gets, yeah, the chords were a bit, it starts to read like a bit like fool's luck.
0: yeah <laughs> okay. there's a sidebar on frederick the brave who's the most famous puka spy for some reason and then the suggestion that the puka exercise their rage from the beginning of time it's a mouse puka that clung onto little dresses and stuff that's yeah great. yeah well they were they were <laughs> handy for being wise and couriers and yeah that's that, cool
1: but it's like more Ease, let's go with that for this yeah
0: I like the idea of a puka spy and the Accordance Ward, mm-hmm. but And that, what the hell is this section on Martin Longclaw that's, like, he was the delegate to High King David's peace settlement?
1: Yeah, just felt like another piece out of Fool's Luck, where they're like, oh, he's worried he's going to get killed with the iron knives and stuff, and he's surprised, and then he like, starts siding with High King David.
0: Yeah, but this is longer than the entire section on the shattering and mm-hmm. the interregnum put together. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Maybe this was somebody's beloved character or something.
1: Yeah, it, this felt like it should have been to the book trolls.
0: Yeah. And then there's this art of a really freaked out horse.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a man's head growing out of the horse. It'd be...
0: There's mention of the current metal plot where High King David has disappeared. It remains to be seen which side of the puka choose to support. Some advocate joining the Shadow Court. Others say the Seelie are the only real friends. I don't like assertions that a kith kind of operates as this monolithic unit. And yep. I kind of felt like the previous Kuth books moved away from that.
1: Yeah, this reminded me more of like a vampire.
0: Yeah. Like an old vampire clan and It's book. like
1: the gang roll thing for Revised when they all, the completely independent clan that they spent mm, with each yeah. other all en masse left the Camarilla.
0: Yeah. Which, it just doesn't work for Changeling. Particularly with the puka, because they are, I would say, yeah. one of the kids that has the most diversity in their number in terms of personality and inclination. Mm-hmm. So, But exotic puka are back now. Yay, thanks, okay. resurgence. So this chapter has repeatedly told me that the puka are proud and angry. They're filled with rage and sadness about the continuing progress of technology. They've had to adapt or die. Very werewolf. But it's told me nothing about why or how they feel these things or who they are. I mm-hmm. guess I'm supposed to accept that it naturally follows that a kith that turns into animals would naturally be the sort of, like, steadfast preservers of the natural world. Yeah, who lie all the time. And who lie all the time and are friendly. Are very confidant. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> so there is this full page sidebar on a few of the specific dream burrows that are out there we get the forest beyond forever where there are these bedlam packs of wild puka Mm -hmm. roaming around the depths that are a complex conglomeration of caverns with subterranean puka yep and then silver valley which i thought actually sounded like a really good setting for a story Mm -hmm. so i'm kind of scratching my head about it a little but
1: forests they all fight each other depths they kind of keep to their own, but there's like an uneasy piece. And in Silver Valley they all like live in kind of a oppressive republic that's all about keeping the peace.
0: It's like mob rule Arcadia. <laughs> yeah. But that's like as a setting, I'd be like, oh that's so cool to yeah. send a motley into and see what happens. Again, we don't really get any mechanics for these, but they're hidey holes in the near dreaming that the poker were able to dig. Mm-hmm. Basically they're dream realms. And then chapter two Diversity. Yeah what is this picture?
1: I think it might have looked good if it was actually finished.
0: Puka being threatened.
1: Yeah, or maybe threatening someone? I think that's a puka strangling somebody.
0: There are threats in progress. Yeah. I do like the implication early in this chapter that changing physical form, because a puka, when they turn into an animal, it's not just their fey meme that changes, it is their actual fleshy bit. That entailing considerable power to just be able to shapeshift like that. I kind of mm-hmm. like that. I like that idea.
1: Is this the part that also says that oh their mundane possessions and even some of their treasures and stuff don't shift with them? Correct. Also new to this book and made me think werewolf?
0: It's new to this book, but I don't know that previous books ever spelled that mm-hmm. out. Like I don't think previous books ever said one way or the other whether or not they leave everything behind when they change. Mm-hmm. There's notes about how no two are exactly alike. There's a survival of the fittest aspect in the Dream Burrows, at least, and there's some considerations that exotic puka, in particular, have to take, Mm -hmm. such as they might not be able to change into their animal form in a given environment.
1: Yeah, like so, it's kind of common sense, but it's useful to think about. Yeah, like if you have a penguin puka in your Seattle game, there's some things to work out there that's
0: different from a squirrel puka in your Seattle game. Yeah. You can have one, but mm-hmm. what I don't like about the first part of this chapter is the repeated insistence that they've only been back for thirty years. <laughs> the mm-hmm. lack of information on uncommon puka, like we get common household puka quite a bit, exotic and insect puka a fair amount, and then uncommon puka get like five sentences.
1: Well, I guess the squirrels are uncommon puka. Never mind.
0: <laughs> well, because they're not house pets, which <sighs> seems like a weird distinction, and it also suggests that squirrel puka were gone for two hundred years and then came back in the sixties and like they were probably fine. Yes. <laughs> so the
1: raccoon puka of at least the ones I mean, I guess the fur trader, they wouldn't like the yeah. fur trading part, but like by the time cities started popping up colonial stuff, they were have been fine.
0: Well that's what's frustrating is that in addition to not having domestication as a possible perspective on their evolution, there's also really nothing about adaptation. Squirrel
1: are also under common household puka, but they're also explicitly under uncommon puka. There we go.
0: Yeah, it's just... So then we get Nature's Call, a puka primer. They talk about rebirth, all puka reincarnate in human bodies, not animals. And their animal affinity sort of informs who they are in a metaphysical sense. Mm -hmm. The human body begins to acquire features that relate directly to the appropriate animal. There's some old Italian folklore surrounding that, which I've always thought was kind of funny.
1: But. Yeah, this is one of the parts I like from this yeah. book. Chrysalis, it'd be kind of weird to shun the shapeshift in your Chrysalis and dream dance and stuff. That's not good. That's not well,
0: pleasant. And the Chrysalis and shapeshifting part, it's the first change yep. for the Garou. It's exactly that. <laughs> Maybe not always as bloody as a werewolf first change tends to be, but mm-hmm. the rest of it reads exactly like a first change. yeah.
1: Although that bit, I I think, makes a bit more sense.
0: I suppose, yeah. We get some advice to the storyteller on character creation and the uniqueness of each Puka's Mm -hmm. animal affinity. This is followed by some trait-specific advice on things like physical, social, and mental attributes, abilities, and cantrips. Mm -hmm. I found all of this completely the most useful thing I've ever seen in a book. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, the opposite, the, the other one. Yeah, yeah. I was
1: a bit <laughs> surprised there. I'm like, if I thought it wasn't just pulled out of someone's butt, it reads that way. And I'm like, also, you talked earlier about a mouse of getting squished easily. I'm like, but explicitly under the rules here, that can't happen. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Uh, these two pages boil down to do what you want. Yeah. By the way, if you're a mouse, you can get 10 dots of stealth, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and do hopscotch by chasing your tail as a bunk. I do actually like the Venom rules. I think that's Mm. fine. So if you have a Venom attack, you get four Venom damage dice added to your attack. And then every half hour of in-game time, you roll, again, you roll three dice, then two, then one. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of keeps doing damage, but reducing each time.
1: Yeah, that's definitely some of the better Venom rules in storyteller system I've seen
0: before. Yeah. And then the Guide to Affinities...
1: I don't think you should spend freebie points to play rare things. Yep. Uh, No, don't use that. You could maybe just say, hey, these are more common and these are less common. Okay, whatever. It's like setting info, but like, don't use these rules, please. Like, don't use the bit of it having to spend to get this.
0: I do think a functional system of some kind would be helpful. This is not it.
1: (laughs) No, and it's just paying freebie points for rarity, which is not how freebie points what they normally pay for in your changeling game
0: so. rarity relative to the americas in europe in particular oh yeah slash the rarer or more endangered it is pay freebies it also suggests that these affinities are more or less fungible and they're not like a kiwi would cost more freebie points than an elephant <laughs> i'm like maybe the kiwi has some kind of powerful magic that i don't know about but There's also, given how little we learn about how aquatic puka manage, we get an awful lot of fish Mm -hmm. here, not to mention the blue whale. Well, it's not
1: strictly rarity either, because like, not just America, like there's no place where this rarity actually works. Like, wolves are rarity four, but penguins are rarity two.
0: Yeah, penguins are more common than owls, so...
1: So is it supposed to be usefulness? But it can't be, because like the way the traits...
0: Anyway. Yeah, I... I don't plan to use this in my. Although I do like that there's a small mammal called a spotted cuscus, and I kind of yeah. Wanna...
1: If you just want a list of names of animals, <laughs> we could
0: look at this these pages. Tragopan pheasant, charax, ooh Mechanitis mimic. Some of these butterfly names. Eighty-eight butterfly. Yeah, but that's uh, that's chapter two. It's weird because it's not really a character creation chapter. It's just kind mm-hmm. of like. Let's spend some time talking about the animal affinities from a variety of perspectives, but not actually give you constructive material to use for building a character. Mm-hmm. And then we're on to chapter three. Yep. Okay, just say all the art between chapters is just sketches of yeah. their art to make out. Stop bringing it up. We open with a quote from Jeremiah of Graemeer Glen, who we saw in Freeholds and Hidden Glens way back in first edition. I can't remember if he was the Unseelie twin, but he sounds like it from a uh, from his quote here.
1: Okay, I don't know what what is this chapter about. I'm, I'm.
0: Well, it's entitled "Love, Lies, and Losses," and we're gonna hear about Pukaes in this chapter, which is the lies. Yeah. We're gonna hear about their emotions for some reason, which is the losses, and then we're gonna hear about some awkward, uh, sexy stuff. hmm Which is the love.
1: Yeah. In one part, like, I think it's trying to sound like all like deep and how sad and upset they are, so they have one of the headings being Bob Bark, Honk, Howl, Cow, Cockadoodle a doodle doo
0: Yes. Well, that's, <laughs> that's how they deal with the emotions inside them. <laughs> yeah, so there's this like entire opening passage about how bitter the puka are, how much pain they're in. And they keep using the clown as a metaphor, like, oh, clowns use their happy-go-lucky mask to disguise all of the suffering they feel inside. Mm-hmm. And, and again... I'm not against a puka having that as their guiding principle, but to sign this to the entire <laughs> gift is like, well. So then, their emotions for dealing with that are denial, bravado, irresponsibility, deviance, cruelty, and suicidal heroics. Yeah,
1: those are the main character, ways character concepts for a puka.
0: Yeah, because they're all just raw nerves, basically.
1: And then we get to their social dynamics.
0: There's a really good, just blatant lie at the start of that section, which is the social interactions of puka are no different from anyone else's. Yep. Bald faced lie. Love
1: it. Well, I mean, they then go into how they're different from everyone else. Exactly. So.
0: <laughs> Huzzah. So, as walking ids, because that's what this book wants us to believe that they are, certain puka desperately gravitate towards packs, and certain other puka are solitary, despite everything the opening of this section insisted upon. Like,. Mm-hmm. They're like they have friends they love they band together it's like well let's say
1: the solitary ones still are human enough to have friends anyway
0: i guess they basically fill the niche of issue or Slua, but they're cuter
1: mm-hmm. and some of them like to travel that's cool i'm okay with like puka being not quite as travelly as issue but more travelly than most other kiths. like yeah that kind of works for me
0: especially if they're like a migratory animal that makes sense hmm and for the PAX part, the leaders section, where they say that when they gravitate towards PAX, they're either leaders or followers. The leaders part, it was actually kind of interesting as an explanation for why they do their jester or like speak truth to power role mm-hmm. so well. They challenge their leaders. And if the leader can't hold the pack together, then another Puka is willing to step up or whatever. So I liked that. They don't just needle the nobles because they can or they want to they do it to keep them sharp essentially Mm -hmm.
1: to make sure they're the ones who should be the nobles
0: exactly yeah trolls have some of that too but more fun with puka
1: there's i mean you're talking about creepy stuff about love later but there's some of that here
0: with the watcher (laughs) i like to watch for some puka this is their mantra unfortunately it doesn't always have the sexy connotation one would like this broke me
1: like jeremy barry broke me that but then they're just getting into like a lot of art has pictures of animals looking at stuff.
0: Right. Therefore, here we finally get some information about empathy. But it almost seems to suggest that the justification for their skill at empathy is because they have mutual pain with the people that they're being empathetic to. And I'm just not into that. Mm-hmm.
1: What well, does have the justification people also say is... Everyone knows how changeling society discounts words of puka. Many changelings think, I have to tell someone. I'll tell the puka. If he does betray my secret, no one will believe him. Mm. And then we get into, I would argue, the most useful part of this book. One of. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely one of the useful parts. But I think for a lot of people I know who like are interested in puka or want to portray puka or are a storyteller and has to puka NBC, this actually helps me get my head around how to actually play a puka
0: better. Yeah. Although that really meta philosophical treatise that opened the section on page forty. It's yeah. <laughs> like, are Puka doing more than telling lies? Are they actually living the lie? Like, whoa, mm-hmm. slow down book. Yep. Didn't need a whole faux conspiracy theory for this. So
1: I think that's a legit psychological condition where you think that your <laughs> entire personality is made up and you're worried about that.
0: For sure. So for Pooka's, I think it's good to remember that the frailty is structured around an inability to tell the whole truth. Mm-hmm. It's not that they can never tell any truth at all, it's that they can't just tell the truth by itself mm-hmm. on its own.
1: And they also can't lie in a super obvious way where everyone would know exactly right. what they mean all the time. You can't just do the opposite
0: speak. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. So I don't know that we need to go into super detail on each of these, but the options that are provided include enigmas, also known as answering questions with more questions, evasions, just changing the subject until they stop trying to get the truth out of you, stalling, <laughs> again, mm-hmm. until they stop t- trying to get the truth out of you, lick flattery rather than answers, mm-hmm. lawyering, picking apart what the other person says so that they almost forget what they were asking you in the first place scandals, blackmailing people until they leave you alone. And I think that's all of them,
1: right? Yeah, so they have like fairy tales and devil's advocate.
0: Yeah, which are more like discursive, like less yeah. responses to questions and more just general ways of communicating.
1: And this is all based around this framing story or something, or this concept of there's a she Lore who's like, who stole my cloak, asks the puka, and just goes downhill from there
0: yes but so yeah fairy tales devil's advocate question-based therapy (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think actually puka would be pretty good therapists asking questions Mm -hmm. so the emergency section is useful because it points out that commands and requests are perfectly straightforward you don't need to obfuscate the truth or anything when you're telling someone come with me or leave me alone there's also like various grammatical moods in different languages that you can play with so rather than just the indicative mood like this is the way Mm -hmm. things are etc you can use the subjunctive mood and say would it were the case that such and such Mm -hmm. i think that would qualify as not quite telling the whole truth
1: yep but i do like it goes through it's not just the literal thing that you're saying right You should also make it so it's not completely simple and straightforward, and everyone will just understand what the actual truth of the matter is from everything you're saying.
0: Yeah. Put
1: some effort in. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you're really doing that too much, like, okay, maybe you need to make that willpower roll, or let's take
0: back what you said, right? So... Yeah. Uh, and here's the bit with P- Puka taking oaths very seriously. Because yep. the dreaming lifts all restrictions on them for lying when they pronounce the words of the oath. Which
1: is good, because I don't know what I'd do if that wasn't possible. That would be
0: yeah all right so then we've got four pages that we have to decide how to (laughs) it's this is the love section
1: this bugged me less than actually some later bits they talk about this topic but
0: i i don't know where we're setting the bar but um
1: i mean on the realm of like house fiona and kith book Seder.
0: all right (laughs) this isn't that bad (laughs) this gets the bronze medal for ick there's actually some creepier stuff later we can get into we don't have to. Um, no. Yeah. Suffice to say, it's very '90s. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's some bizarre language choices, like
1: it's actually very
0: similar to like
1: a '90s sitcoms, right? Or <laughs> like guy movies take on sex, like it's
0: or like a very special episode.
1: <laughs> I saw it as more as like written by the twenty-something-year-old guy on the
0: maybe yeah in that dude wheres my car kind of movie or something. There's something about puka. Yeah. So here's this one sentence specifically talking about the puka. They hold that anyone who preaches a banal philosophy in which sex or love is bad when it strays from the standard missionary position between alter married spouses is full of shit. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm I'm not against that in principle. It was just kind of came -hmm. out of nowhere. I feel like a lot of this text could have been repurposed from Kith Book Seder drafts.
1: hmm Should have been in Kit what's in Kith Book Seder than what we actually
0: got, I think. I, I think there's a lot more in here than in Kissbook Seder too yeah. on the subject, which is interesting. There's some deeply binaristic stuff like the roles of the sexes and the Puka homosexual.
1: Again, nineteen ninety nine.
0: Yeah. well that's <laughs> it it seems very proud of its own hipness. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know Yeah. And then at the end, it circles back to explain in detail puka reproduction, because we needed to know. Hey,
1: if you're pregnant, what does that mean for your puka? That...
0: I suppose. I'm
1: not opposed to that, actually. But also, puka don't lay eggs. That's good to know. Uh,
0: I did like the plumage sidebar. I thought that was yeah. amusing. But yeah, it's here if you want it.
1: Yeah. And then we get a picture. I, w- I said I wouldn't mention it, but this picture is actually legible. Like, you can actually see the inking. It's not, it doesn't look like like pencil sketch.
0: They could afford an inked one. Yep. Yes, as we move into chapter four. Mm-hmm. This, I think, is actually the most useful chapter. I mean, the Puka'i section is mm-hmm. useful, but this entire chapter, I think, was pretty solid. So we go through the childling, wilder, and elder years. Again, I think still reasonable to port into C20 as, like, following the actual ages rather than the seemings.
1: But also a bit of how long you've been if af- there's just like three bits in c20 there's like your seeming there's your age and there's how long you've known your apuka. yeah so like even a 10 year old who's been aware of their puka for four years has some things up on a 40 year old who just went through their chrysalis but
0: yeah and it's all kind of mixed together here but i think all of it is still extractable and usable across those three yeah. divisions so Young pukas stick close to their families, whether their birth families or otherwise. They ask a lot of questions. The seely ones are affectionate. The unseely ones are predatorial. And they are protected or mentored by their elders. And there's a really great sidebar on mentors. I actually thought this was one of the strongest parts of the book.
1: The mentoring, a lot of it seems to be how to actually move around in your animal form without it causing problems.
0: Yeah. Or how to use your animal form without problems. And ideally having a mentor with a, the same or similar animal affinity. Yeah.
1: And they go really far to make sure it's the same
0: animal affinity if they can. not possibly. Yeah. So then they get to their adolescence, where they learn to survive in all three of her kingdoms. The fae, the mortal, and the animal. I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't need to get back into the mating instincts part, but I guess that's the thing that happens. Yep. Yeah. And overall, they seem to cleave pretty closely to the code of their respective courts. So the sealy ones are pretty sealy. The unsealy ones are pretty unsealy. So that's you know.
1: Yeah, this whole thing of sealy and unsealy is a. I mean, it's pretty common in ancient books. I don't know if I like that take on it, but whatever. It's...
0: Yeah, nothing very surprising about it. Mm-hmm. And then the elders—they're kind of busybodies who embrace routine more. I like that they keep getting compared to grandparents because as much as people point to like Bog and Grumps as the grandparent analogs, I think there's plenty of Puka grandparents out there too. Mm -hmm. They also tend to show their territorialism and assert their dominance more because they're the elders. But then eventually they reach their latter stages of life. The sealy tend to care for their kithmates, even after their undoing, which is Mm -hmm. very rare and I guess kind of goes against the C20 statements about... Once changelings are undone, other changelings are like, oh, stay away from them.
1: Yeah, but although any general trend like that of all changelings, I can't believe all changelings
0: yeah. behave the same way. That's not. If there's an exception, it's the puka. Yep. The unseelie just put them out to pasture, so. But in either case, untimely death provokes revenge from the rest of the kith.
1: And then marking territory, which is a lot less gross than
0: you might think from the title. A wolf puka of Toronto. Yeah. Huzzah.
1: Catalina should have been a coyote book but
0: anyway. She's from Up Province.
1: Yeah. Toronto actually has this, like a huge coyote problem, so it's...
0: Oh. Well, she's from Rainy River. She just came down for... Uh, okay. So the Sealy. They're leaders or followers, which we've already seen that distinction, but okay. Yeah, we get some repeats along this part. Yeah, there's there's a okay, lot of repetition. Love. And this is all written by one person, apparently, so... Yeah. So the Sealy use conventional methods to protect nature... The code is tilted towards the pack overall, I would say, especially when it comes to the love piece. So it says, when a Puka considers the concept of love, his first thought is always for his pack. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. And then I don't understand why it's so fixated on like Puka troll romance, but I guess Puka break a lot of troll hearts. I don't know. When it comes to beauty, they point to nature. When it comes to debts, they point to revenge. And reciprocation. I just realized, yeah, trolls,
1: I guess, are a little bit animal like. Maybe that's what I is. guess so. Yeah, and I like that they highlight a knife for an eye, a tooth for the tooth, gift for a gift as the Sealy
0: Code. Yes. Revenge as well as reciprocation comes naturally to them. Almost too naturally. Okay. So then the Unsealy Court has less static packs and roles, they're more mutable. And the Code is tilted towards fulfilling desire out of rage. Yeah, they don't feel sad for the world's devastation. They feel angry. Anger has developed into an inferno in their souls. They want mortals to be afraid. And like, all right, yeah, there's like the wild hunt and everything, and Puka certainly can ravage left and right. But Mm -hmm. again, so focused on the being werewolves. (sighs) Yeah. That being said, my favorite throwaway line in this section is the one about flesh-eating mutants in the dreaming, because the unseelie create nightmares of what they want to stamp out. I don't know if I agree with that, but where am my flesh-eating chimera? Mm-hmm. So there's that. Honor relates directly to the pack, which I, I feel like that's true for both Seelie and unseelie. I'm also
1: confused by they have there with honor specifically. I'm like, um, right? You should say loyalty because like honor's the like it's a lie, right?
0: Well, it says they don't call this honor. It's simply a matter of survival, but...
1: That's yeah, Pookies, there we go. It covers up all sins,
0: right? Pooka yeah. Book. There's a note that the truly lone puka is a rare creature indeed, which makes more sense to me than when they were talking about how many puka were solitary earlier, so... <laughs> Shadowguard Pooka. Yeah. It is interesting to say that puka can innately keep secrets because they can't repeat it accurately, even if they want to. Unless they spend willpower or whatever, and then they're often overlooked, so they make good spies, as we said. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm fine with shadow court pooka, but then there's the beasties, and they, you know, they fill a different niche. That's something
1: I need rules for forms on, but there you yeah. Go. I just pulled out my copy of um, the various changing breeds werewolf twenty. and just went, ah, you get these powers here. You go. Excellent. Based on a character draw.
0: So then we get into the societies. I love the names of the societies. The names are great. I think the societies are fine. It's just that. Yes. The names are the best part of them. <laughs> but they also just kind of feel like they were created separately from the rest of this book and just kind of yeah. dropped in.
1: I feel like they came up with some names and then they created some.
0: Yeah. It's
1: like the powerful purveyors of pestil- I can't say
0: pestilential pranks. Yeah. The justice system for the Kith.
1: My favorite is the Puka Watchers Puka Watchers.
0: I do. I love that one.
1: It's like apparently there's a bunch of people studying puka, which you learn, actually the framing mechanism of this book is that, the history section. yeah. And it's like, but then there's other puka who don't like the non-puka studying puka. So they watch the puka. They watch the people watching puka and then they start doing weird stuff and mess to mess with them.
0: I mean, they're just messing with the data. That's, yeah. again, a time-honored tradition.
1: It's like freaking the mundanes, but the mundanes are she,
0: And also anthropology researchers. Yep. Then the uncrowned... These are Puka who feel they have every right to hold as many positions of leadership and freeholds as any other kith. But they don't care about the title background. No. They're mostly just unsealy who want things. But it says, like, there's a note that they can take possession of a freehold and bail fire without any immediate repercussions. What? Thereby hangs a Mm tale. I'd like to know more about that. The salvage crew? Because
1: they're worried about what happens if you're a certain affinity in the animal for that goes extinct The puka don't tend to last much longer past that point so let's rescue those animals by taking them to the dreaming nothing can go wrong with that yeah so they'll take like oh there's peregrine falcons let's take a bunch of peregrine falcons and take them to the dreaming or whatever
0: yeah the political animals like to mess with politics create political chaos and then the renunciate faction who advocate extreme war prevention and, or abandoning the autumn world. This
1: one felt too real to me with like <laughs> a bunch of people I know trying, it was like, Oh, there's a serious problem. Let's deal with it. Oh my goodness. It's hurting cats. They're not agreeing on anything. And they're a bunch of them are saying very extreme things. You probably don't want them to agree on. And
0: yeah. Yeah. It's very over the top, <laughs> very dramatic. And then their opinions
1: on others. They like bargains.
0: They also exploit Boggins, to be fair.
1: Yeah. They get along with the issue.
0: Fun with competitive tricks and storytelling. They hate knockers because they're of the weaver. Um. Yeah. As representatives of Puka and Knocker Kiss, I say we bury the hadget once and for all. Yep. They have a volatile relationship with redcaps, but the Unseely have grudging respect.
1: Yeah. There's been this rivalry between Redcaps and Puka that's gone throughout that through line throughout all of changeling the Yes. They have a weird relationship with Satyrs. Yeah. They're like really like Satyrs and Satyrs are like, please go away.
0: <laughs> yeah. And like the whole like unsealy are attracted to the point of assault. I didn't really need that. No. The She very variable. Admiration mixed with paranoia. The Slua like
1: I don't know what to do, but Slua, they're just a non-category.
0: Except for Spider Puka. Yep. And then the trolls, it's kind of the same as Satyrs, except with honor instead of love slash lust. Yep. So, Puka, admire them. Trolls are like,
1: ugh. I bet you like the nunihi in the Galeen section. Oh
0: my god. I'm, I'm just going to say, I had really hoped we were moving past the earlier depictions of the nunihi, but I don't know.
1: Just past some of the earlier ones, that's a scary thing.
0: Yeah, the Nunihi section, just, yeah. And then the Selkies, where it's like... (laughs) Well, they're they're befuddled by, but friendly with, the Selkies. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the Inanime, they're like, must protect.
1: Yeah, the the Inanime one actually read a lot like the Nunihi one, but it's less offensive because the Inanime aren't a proxy for a real-world culture, but...
0: Yeah, and the other thing is... The Puka are repeatedly kind of positioned as these protectors or even Avengers at some point. But I haven't really seen anything about them as a kith structurally or nothing that indicates to me that they would be effective in any of those roles.
1: Okay, do you know how this reads to me? Like, okay, you have to take this position, this thesis on an essay topic. (laughs) I don't agree with this thesis at all. Okay. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, kind of, yeah. The SAT version of Kispo Puka. Prodigals, they avoid vampires, they share rage with the Garu, But not like Capital R rage. They don't actually That would be great though. That would be a merit for Puka to have a rage mm-hmm. snap. Yeah,
1: it's like almost as good as Wayfarer 2. They
0: yeah. apparently call mages weirders, which is a term we've never seen before or since. <laughs> yes, but I like that. And then Wraith is no opinion really. And humans love-hate relationship. So it's a mishmash of words that, again, tells me very little about the humans that's unique to the puka, mm-hmm. except for hammering even more on this single note about their nature preservation angle.
1: Yeah, well, like, you know, both the birthrights and frailties of puka are totally based around preserving nature. So
0: Yeah. In short, the puka don't know what to think of or do about humans. Again, just mm-hmm. top-tier lie there. and mm-hmm. This brings us to chapter
1: five, Animal Magnetism.
0: Dum-dum-dum! This is the one that squicked me this chapter. <laughs> Some of them were squicky, or squickier than others, at
1: least. Well, when you look at, especially when you look at, like, the ages and how it's described and what they... And also they made the Sealy Peacock Puka, that's, like, a combination, personality-wise, of, like, Liberace and... Paul Lind. <laughs> well they, they described him also as like liberoshi and oh, what's his name elton john elton john yeah who's straight or maybe straight
0: well bisexual
1: maybe oh he's bisexual
0: i'm just guessing okay i hope so <laughs> then we get slick who's kind of a proto pisky chameleon puga mm-hmm. but has the whole thing about fitting in wherever she goes changing her accent disguising herself androgynous form mm-hmm. and it's like yeah
1: and then they have Acris uh, Pristis, which I think is the first trans man in Changeling
0: I think so or at least the first one who's yeah. specified to be such
1: and some of the wording was like awkward but again it's 1999 so I don't know how to
0: <laughs> yeah I mean we go back to that question of representation is yeah. bad representation better than no representation Mm-hmm. and this isn't
1: even particular if it was just reworded it wouldn't have been so bad yeah so.
0: we should also point out that each of these write-ups specifies with one exception the type of puka that these characters mm-hmm. all speak so lord thierry alain chevalier the peacock puka does a teasing wink wink style with lots of distraction and diversion thrown in mm-hmm. the slick is because they change identity so frequently it says she, but I think of them as non-binary, frankly. Mm-hmm. Her entire self becomes a lie. So she develops extensive histories for each of her aliases and shares them to give credence to her false identity. So it's like her identity itself is the lie that she's telling. Mm-hmm. And Osiris Pristis just uh, grumbles. Mm-hmm. So I like that as a as an option. Like, yep. if you don't know how to do your ease, just go... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Mistress Mary Widow I uh, like more if she wasn't like 18 or 19
0: She's the dominatrix one, yes?
1: Yeah, given her how long she's supposed to be anyway.
0: <sighs> Her Pooka-Ease is Fantasies mm-hmm. Rene Devereaux who's a Cajun Alligator slash alligator protector That just reminds me of the Character from the Ninja Turtles cartoon But <sighs> They actually don't say What his Pooka-Ease is unacceptable yeah. and
1: moses coyote delgado
0: yeah this was this quick one for me
1: <laughs>
0: yeah essentially a um aging hippie cult leader who believes in child marriage yeah
1: i mean at least i didn't present him as a anything but a villain but still
0: yeah it's pretty uh pretty gross
1: they could have cut back a bit and still made him creepy enough to, to fit
0: it, it is also the case that these are all substantially longer than a lot of the other Kith books. This one's super long, the Delgado one. Yeah. Then Jezebel, who's the butterfly puka. I really like that she had a second chrysalis. Yeah, that was a neat idea. A literal chrysalis for your yeah. butterfly puka. All the she made fun of her, and now she's their heartbreaker, because she's so pretty with wings. Mm-hmm. She's a pretty 14-year-old. But besides that, she's... Wait, is she?
1: (laughs) Well, when
0: she became... Yeah, she's a Wilder, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe they could have fixed things by changing the ages of... Although teenagers do get up to stuff, so it's like...
0: They do, but she could also be 22, you know? Yeah. That's the difficulty.
1: Yeah, I think it's more the way they presented it. Like, it's not like she was just heartbreaking the other new Wilders.
0: Yeah. Then... Coca-Jones, and Unseely Polo Bio.
1: This is like, if you're like, you wanted to play a red cap, but you told you had to play a puka. You know.
0: Yes. And he's also a drug runner, because why not? And abusive to his family, and all sorts of... Yeah. But he's another mumbler. Mm-hmm. Why, should, why don't you know I care? Yeah, he also asks gruff questions. Out of all of these, I think the first two are my favorites, and yeah. Jezebel's okay. Yeah. I don't have a favorite exactly,
1: because they're all like something about them that makes me...
0: Anyway, yeah. Yeah. But as we pointed out before though, it's not like you're obligated to use any of these in your game. Mm-hmm. I certainly never have. Yep. Some of them I could use in my game, as like NPCs.
1: And then we have the Animal Kingdom, it's the player or the character templates. The pet one's super sad. Yeah. So that was like you're like a childling like young childling, I think, locked in a closet, turned into a puppy your mom comes and then it's like, oh, get out of here. And like, kicks out the puppy. And now you're like wandering the streets and stuff. Like, oh my goodness. That's
0: just... <sighs> yeah, it, it was kind of melodramatic for me. <laughs> the prince. I thought the prince was okay, I guess. Yeah. The philanthropist.
1: I thought she should have an extra daughter resources, but other
0: than that. Yeah, she's unimaginably wealthy, and yet she only has yeah. four dogs.
1: Yeah, the philanthropist. like, this is where I'm arguing these are good for NPCs. (laughs) Like, she could work as an NPC in a game somehow, but less so as a PC.
0: Again, really cramming the text in for these as well. Mm -hmm. Like, these are some really elaborately developed Kissbook templates. The pesky varmint. I like this one, except that it's so loaded with 90s dare rhetoric. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh... You never came down from the high the first time you tried these drugs. That bit, when I read that, I'm
1: just like, what the fuck? Okay, for the World of Darkness to make sense, I'm not saying for your games, but the books themselves, if you assume they're set in prime time thriller TV show kind of things, like NCIS or something.
0: Or tabloid. Yeah, it
1: all makes a lot more sense. <laughs> but- yeah.
0: There's the predator, which feels really one dimensional to me. And I'm yeah. As the child of a social worker, I'm really not here for the social services hate. But yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to deny that there are negatives to the social services system and bad situations. Mm-hmm. But I I get really annoyed when yeah. all of it is painted with that brush. <laughs> well, it's generally also a structural issue, I think. Than that too. But yeah, this kind of leans very hard into those tropes and. Mm -hmm. Doesn't result in an interesting character, frankly. No. But I liked the Punisher. Mm -hmm. He's probably my favorite, actually. He's like, the Punisher crossed with Zorro. I'm all about that. Mm -hmm. And to Panther Puka.
1: Yep. And then we get Chapter 7. Quirks and baubles, starting with merits and flaws. So many merits and flaws.
0: There really are. Some of which found their way into C20, I believe. Like, good listener, I'm pretty sure. Maybe calming presence. And some of them are generally useful. Like I think the merits overall are Mm
1: -hmm. I found called friends hilarious, especially with the (sighs) idea of it being a chicken. Like if you're chicken Puka and you start going like and then like all these chickens come and it's like you're
0: playing Zelda. Well but you have to be careful how you how you do that because if you recall, that's how Puka express their denial, bravado Uh, etc. So yeah. yeah like the good listener, the loud voice and the calming presence are all kind of broadly applicable. The animal speech and the call to friends—it's kind of like animalism from vampire. The first mm-hmm. couple of powers, the intimidation merit is not good. It's just the birth rate for redcaps, but it's also a three-point merit for minus two difficulty on rolls for a single ability, yeah. which is just not mm-hmm. great. Whole cloth is like—it's
1: the right of whatever for werewolves, but yeah, anyway. I just have this as that's that's how it works. Pookas. I don't know why I'd do it otherwise. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> naked player characters showing up all the time.
0: Well, you also have a LARP background, so you have to think more carefully about that. No, things. but also just in the game, it's like, why is that fun? Like it's. Not... <laughs> yeah. We have Venomous Attack, which is the Venom rules. The physical abnormality, I mean, I like it. I like that, oh, yeah, if your animal form has this particular gift, it would be cool if that transferred into your face seeming and we get plenty of evidence that Apuka's fey mean reflects mm-hmm. their animal nature to some extent, but again, there's no guidelines to that. It's just as the storyteller this, figures it out.
1: Yeah, this should just, it's like, fine, make up your own merits. It should have just right. said that. Or use other merits as appropriate. And, yeah. Because Venomous Attack, right there, five-point merit.
0: With actual mechanics, though.
1: Yeah. They even say Venomous Bite as a three- to four-point <laughs> yeah example.
0: Well in the earlier venom sidebar they specify that a venomous bite at that level should not have the full venom rules that come with venomous attack. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's like platypus well that's a spur rather than a bite, but minor mm-hmm. venom. I don't know. Then we get some flaws. The first one is just subseeming so like true <laughs> pack mentality, natural urge. like a lot of these, Again, echoing vampire, they seem like gangrel things, and they're more for flavor than mechanical impact. And overall, they're kind of uneven. Mm -hmm. Environmental need which is basically the Samisi (laughs) flaw, it's fine. Animal amnesia, I did think was actually intriguing. Difficult to navigate in game, but as a character attribute, that Mm -hmm. might be good for like a solo game, but probably not for a group.
1: I'm just picturing like. There's like this dog who's just like scratching at the same detailed
0: notes for themselves, but still in good ease. Then they come back like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then the last two are just, I, I don't even know how I would integrate these into a game.
1: You get a four point flaw by just staying in your animal form most of the time.
0: Okay. Makes it very difficult to do anything else with other changelings though. And then hibernation. It's like. see so you see it. It makes it hard to, I'm just picturing like a rabbit wearing a little waistcoat. <laughs> Then he can't
1: speak. Yeah, like I said. I suppose, yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe in a full Puka game, you mm-hmm. can make it work more easily. Yep. Magical crumbs, level one treasure. That was kind of neat. Oh, yeah. The treasures I quite like. And I like that it acknowledges that the Puka won't always have clothes or pockets mm-hmm. or hands to carry these. So, uh, yeah, the magical crumbs. Ariadne's croutons, is how I think of them. Mm-hmm.
1: Cat boots is like, oh, this is kind of cool, except it only works against the enchanted you disappear but only to those who are enchanted or the fae, or whatever
0: they probably still look like excellent boots to mortals though Mm. yeah the dog tags i was a little confused because it's like you scry through them but do you then give them to other people they could keep track of those they loved so yeah you make a dog tag give it to somebody you want to keep an eye on and it allows Mm -hmm. you to scry through it oh okay each tag has the name and address of the original creator upon it, perhaps explaining why they have endured for so long. I don't think that does, actually. <laughs> no, is... perhaps it doesn't. Mm-hmm.
1: Balthazar's bracelets.
0: Pretty cool. Yeah, it
1: gives you armor, basically. Armor tattoos.
0: In all forms.
1: Cleopatra's wings. That one was weird to me. But it gives you flight. So. Hey, in C20 rules, it'd be a level 4 treasure.
0: Yeah, a lot of these are just kind of cantrip treasures, which mm-hmm. makes them easily portable, but then the levels are occasionally a little bit strange. Yep. And Osiris is flail. Repository of all knowledge.
1: hmm And we get a Puka character sheet, which actually seems like it has animal affinity. I think and, they
0: figured out that the previous ones had problems.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't see any weird skills that shouldn't be there or knowledges. And...
0: Even in the deeper parts, like even in the later pages, there's stuff like animal form stats. and mm-hmm. uh, You just feel bad because you're like somebody's
1: playing a slua or a satyr and they get gematria, but in color. and You're like black
0: and white. It's a mixed bag for everybody. Is there any interesting ads in your copy? Oh. <laughs> Well, so the last page in the physical copy, because Art House was just kind of throwing together whatever they could, I guess, there is a full page treatise about the return of Phil Brucato to the World of Darkness writing staff. Mm. And he talks about Mage the Sorcerer's Crusade a lot and how Infernalism Path of Screams is coming out. And it's a choice. I'll, I'll put it on the show notes or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll put it in the Discord for all to see. So So
1: wait, Phil Bercato left and then came back before?
0: I suppose he took a break of some kind, Mm -hmm. or I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) Anyway, my overall thoughts are, I wouldn't break the bank to get this book, but like the Puka East chapter and a few other things are pretty useful, but I wouldn't also use a lot of this.
0: I'll admit that I broke the bank to get this one. Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. If you want the complete collection. Oh, this was like the famous book for how much it cost.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was the one that for years I did not have in hard copy just because. Now you can get print on demand from drive through for the same prices. No, I still got the original. Yeah, you could.
1: (laughs) If you're a completionist collector or something, sure. But like.
0: I didn't pay triple digits for it. That is not for the contents of this book.
1: There's some useful things, and there's some things I would just not use and I don't know how many pages worth of
0: useful there is but 22
1: out of out of 96 useful even after listening to the
0: episode yeah 18 out (laughs) of 96 yes (laughs) there are moments of glory like I don't want to deny that but there's also moments of uh.
1: I mean if you want to have a puka historian and you want them to just recite exactly what's in this history chapter that could work in your game
0: or if you want to have a puka who believes they're an ancient Egyptian god, but also a werewolf who wants to yiff all the time, then that's here for you, too. Yeah. And for better or for worse, we're stuck with it. This is canon. <laughs> <laughs> you say
1: that. It didn't get brought to C20, some of the. That's true, and... yeah.
0: No, bits of it, maybe. But that's the thing, is when you have a single author book like this, if they make choices that not everybody agrees with, you're like, mm-hmm.
1: The golden I rule. I think I've been finding more of that as we're going through mm-hmm. the later second edition. There's these, wait a second, are you sure you want to go in that direction? Or or yeah. not Not always it's bad, it's just, this is kind of late. Like, you're completely changing what the puka are. What are you doing?
0: Right. <laughs> I keep thinking back in my mind to Rasputin from the Immortal Eyes series, mm-hmm. the trilogy. And for all of his thinness as a character he was still so much more complex and interesting as a puka, just that side of his nature than a lot of what this book kind of outlines. Mm-hmm. Even though notoriously his puka ease was simply saying the opposite, which is pretty basic. He had like a fleshed out three dimensional backstory and he had emotions and he was grounded in humanity and not obsessed with nature being destroyed all the time i have no problem with a puka environmentalist but i don't want all of them to be enraged environmentalists because we already have a game for that so yep i would have liked to see robust mechanics for animal forms i would have liked to see more about dream burrows mm-hmm. i would have liked to see more variety about their roles in cathane society but as varied as their forms are their animal forms which this book pushes the puka themselves as they're represented here, they're just expressions of the same ideas over and over. And Mm -hmm. that's so, I feel disappointed. There's parts that I love, but overall. Yep. Do we want to do the listener questions now? Yeah. Let's, let's cleanse our palate with some (laughs) listener feedback.
1: So storyteller asks, besides the usage of rare animal merit, what sort of balancing mechanisms do you use for different animal forms? Well, the book certainly doesn't help with advice in that direction. (laughs) it has advice it's just not
0: i said helpful helpful advice. yeah so what do you use in your games i don't think i've ever had enough people playing puka to really like need to care about it too much but i would tell players shuffle around your attribute dots in a way that makes sense shuffle mm-hmm. around ability dots in a way that makes sense and for whatever like freebies left over you have, if you're like, oh, there's no way that I'm going to get all 10 of my physical dots into this mouse form, then I will either come up with some kind of bonus, like 10 dots of stealth, or some Mm -hmm. merit that you temporarily have. Just because I want the animal form to be as useful in and of itself. I want them to have good reason to change into it. But yeah, Uh, a more robust system would be really nice. Yeah. For me, I don't
1: use the rare animal merit. (laughs) I would change the physical attributes and basic abilities based on the, if we have a template that seems reasonable somewhere for that animal, I wouldn't change the health levels though. And um, I mean, if you're particularly dexterous human, maybe you're particularly dexterous for a cat, but that's about as far as I'd go. i go. I'm not going to try to balance it because it's like, how do you balance a hawk and a mouse and a dolphin? Like I yeah. can't balance that. That's
0: <laughs> With an intricate scale.
1: And it would depend on where you are and, like, what... It's like, okay, the raccoon, that's broken because it's, like, in a city and can do things, like, way more broken than a rhinoceros unless you're in a setting where it's okay to be a rhinoceros. And,
0: Zoo combat.
1: Yeah. Figure out the stats, and that's your character stats and your animal form. And then, yeah, you're, if you want to have stuff in your animal, in your fey main or something, that's merits of flaws territory.
0: Luna Andromeda Vebe asks, Do you think Puka are the definitive furry kith? This book certainly wants them to be. <laughs> this book seems to think so. Except it doesn't. It didn't read much like
1: furries, I know. I they're not man. all big on environmentalism
0: to this degree. I don't know. The love section. I know a number of ace furries as not... anyway. well. Well, that too. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. asks, The Uncrowned struck me as an attempt to explain how Apuka might broaden their political aspirations beyond court jester. Given that every changeling is seemingly aware of the puka frailty, if not actually aware of how it works, how would you portray and utilize a puka who feels that they're destined for the nobility? I think an unseelie one, I would have them making capricious decrees that nobody can predict and kind of ruling mm-hmm. through the terror of that. And then the seelie, really the, the two courtier characters, the peacock puka yeah. and Jezebel the butterfly, I think are good examples in that direction. Elegant hyperbole for everything and everyone at all times. Mm-hmm. That's my take.
1: We have an implied question. Wondering if you're doing every
0: episode in Puka-ese. Oh, that is, that is quite an implied question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What's the plural form of puka? Puka. I mean, at least in the books. I don't recall ever seeing pukas anywhere, and it sounds completely wrong to me. In the Discord, we had an, a number of linguistic suggestions. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so how do you handle the frailty? Well,
1: the book actually does handle that pretty well, actually. That's pretty good.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, here's the most important question. Uh, Describe the fate of the world. Each puka is based on a type of animal. So which animals is puka based on?
0: All of them, naturally. So yeah,
1: you can find us at changelingthepodcast.com. <laughs> you can send us an email, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. You can send us a toot, including if you, I guess, you are a elephant puka there's no mastodon puka anymore unfortunately but it is on mastodon maybe
0: there's one hiding in a dream burrow somewhere
1: yeah maybe look will get federated uh, changelypod pod at dice.camp you can go on facebook for us because we are not a canadian news site at uh, changeling the podcast you can go to our youtube page changeling the podcast and all the links will be in the show notes even the ones we forgot mm-hmm. and once again i'm josh the court order has me listed as Puka. What I want to know is, out of all the stories you told me, which ones were true and which ones were? not My dear Josh, they're all true. Even the lies?
0: Especially the lies. This episode has been sponsored by the most noble company of Puka Extraordinary Worldwide, bringing madcap mayhem and a melodious mischief to the dank dark world since time immemorial. No problem too small, no solution too huge, no Puka too incapable of doing what must not needs be undone. Summon your friendly neighborhood Puka today! Our show is also made possible through support from listeners like you. Please do consider leaving us a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience. You can also sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash podcast and receive a shout out at the end of each episode, like the following fine folks, Derek, Torcadus, Oreo, Razgabuz, Sandjager, Seija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. Until next time, don't do anything we wouldn't do, or that we would do, or you know, do it, do whatever, live your own lives, how about that? But regardless, keep on dreaming.